welcome to a new episode of Field Days, a podcast about news and hot topics related to the Michigan Department of Corrections. Here are your hosts, Chris Gouts and Greg Straub. Hello, and thanks to everyone for tuning in to a new episode of Field Days Podcast. I'm Greg Straub, joined as always by my co-host and part-time hipster, Chris Gouts. Chris, what's up? Uh, no time hipster, and I am happy to be here. Just want to clear that up. Let's get it on the record. There was a talk of skinny jeans in the pre- recent episode. Yeah, I haven't been. Your hands are uncalloused. You I, I will admit to uncalloused hands. I will not admit to owning skinny jeans. Uh, it's been many years since anybody has referred to my legs as skinny. <laughs> I wouldn't mind being called skinny again, but. Not wearing skinny jeans, even if I had skinny legs. Well, it's trending right now, so you are uh, a part-time hipster. But, uh, you know, I do want to talk about, in the last episode, we talked about some people that submitted posters for the survey contest. And I want to talk about two more today. And that would be Don McEwen from the Parole Board and Ben Verway from Carson City Correctional Facility. Thanks to you guys for um, taking time to submit a survey poster. Very cool, and thank you very much. Okay, Chris, I I do want to talk about one thing. Do you know, I ask you this from time to time. Do you know what time it is? Uh, I don't know what time it is. It's polar, polar plunge time. That's right. It's it, polar plunge time. It is. It is. And you know, as you've seen on social media, the director has been spotted at many polar plunges across the state. And for those who don't know what polar plunge is, it's the law enforcement torture run polar plunge that challenges everyone to jump into freezing cold water, either in a lake or a, uh, a pool, as it was yesterday at the Lugnut Stadium here in Lansing, it goes to a great cause, and it's Special Olympics, um, and all the funds raised goes towards year-round sports training and athletic competition for more than 23,000 children and adults with disabilities in Michigan. So it's a great cause. Um, I know I, I went to the one yesterday here in Lansing, and I actually saw the director there. Uh, I did not partake in the event because it looked really cold, uh, but pe- staff from the Lansing Parole and Probation Office did. It was fun to watch. Uh, I was cold enough to stand it out there, Chris. So, you ever done this? Uh, I have not. I've seen many do it. They let uh, a lot of the lawmakers do it. They put out one of those big things, big pools, right out in front of the Capitol. So I've seen that a, a number of times, uh, and I've definitely seen our staff really uh, take interest in it. And I'm so glad that they uh, are doing it. Uh, not, and not you. Not for me. Not for me. Yeah, it, it did look cold yesterday, but uh, you're right. There and there's quite a few events that are still. Um, that they're still available and still open. They have, and the last one's actually March 18th in Marquette, Michigan, so if you want to go up there and jump in some probably freezing cold Marquette water, um, your last chance is March 18th, Chris. Um, I think I'll take a hard pass on that. Well, I'll let them do it. And you know our other co-host here, Noah Nagy, did this last year. Uh, I'm not sure if he's doing it this year, but I'm sure I I think we have a special surprise for all of Noah's fans out there. Um, He may be coming up on an episode of Field Days where I'm sure he'll talk about everything going on with him, and uh, we'll get to know know a little more if he's doing polar plunges this year. But I did want to mention all the staff out there that are really, you know, jumping into this cold water for a good cause, and they're stepping up and um, doing some good stuff out there, Chris. Yeah, very good. So you talked a little bit about the survey and the survey posters. We have some news to announce on the survey, uh, and we want to remind everybody to, again, if you have not taken it, you're going to get a lot of emails encouraging you to take it. You're going to get a lot of people asking you to take it, uh, as well as right now. Um, So please go out and take it. We really want to know what you think. But so many of you have done an amazing job of already heeding uh, our, our advice and 
as of the first week, 44% of state of Michigan MDOC employees have already taken the survey with another couple hundred that were in the queue had, had started it in some fashion and we'll be increasing that number. So that is ahead of where we were the last survey uh, in, after the first week. So we really appreciate it. There's a lot of facilities around the state that are doing some really innovative things to encourage uh, their staffs uh, to take this. Um, maybe innovative isn't the right word, but ARU, I really still appreciate mm -hmm. uh, their uh, pro approach to taking this. Yeah. Uh, Lieutenant Levins, a friend of the pod, uh, told his staff, take the survey. And guess what happened? And they will take the survey. 100% of the people took the 100 survey. 100% <laughs> of the people took the survey. <laughs> That's great, man. Uh, yeah, so I really like that approach, very direct, so I wish that would work on everyone. What's our goal for the survey, by the way? What is our goal? Our goal is 75%. We hit, uh, it was our last time around, our goal was in the 60s somewhere, yeah. and we ended up hitting 71%. So I guess we're a victim of our, of our own success, and that uh, now the, the number keeps getting higher. So 75% is where we want to hit. And depending on what facility you're at, um, they have sort of step increases on what you will see or what, what you can get if your facility hits 70, 75, 80 percent. So the more that you do, uh, you know, I think there's a dump tank involved uh, at, at, the, at the women's uh, facility. Uh, other facilities, you hit 70, 80 percent, you know, you get lunch lunches or uh, casual days are big uh, going around halfway the casual days are big with us right now yeah i heard month-long casual yeah. casual days so yeah there's a lot of incentives to take it uh aside from the fact that you know if you tell us you know again what you think real change can result uh, from that so it's it's, it's yeah, great more important the casual days. day real change <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> short term long term okay that's short term long term um, a couple other things that we wanted to touch on before uh, we get into our interview is that um uh, the Honor Guard was on hand for a funeral. It's great that we have our staff that, uh, the Honor Guard is such an amazing uh, thing that we have at the department, but they were on hand to honor uh, fallen Delaware Lieutenant Stephen Floyd, um, and they have the watch now. So uh, it was great to see them uh, take part in that uh, very solemn ceremony. And um, an astute listener of the podcast last week noticed that I mentioned uh, uh, his name incorrectly, so I apologize for that. But uh, Lieutenant Stephen Floyd uh, is who they were there to honor, and I'm really appreciative that uh, the, the honor guard uh, was there. And another uh, thing I'd want wanted to mention from last week to bring people back up to speed is that we mentioned our communications intern Skyler, uh, who was in a really serious car accident um, the previous week. Um, but we want to let everybody know an update on his condition. He is doing great. He He's actually back to work, and so I, what a testament to, to his grit and his fortitude and his willingness to be a true part of this MDOC family. He literally got hit by a Greyhound <laughs> bus, broke his neck, and eight days later was back in his cubicle working for his unpaid internship. So, uh, and, and that was not us telling him that he needed to do that. On the, on the contrary, I was telling him and his family, you stay home as long as you possibly need, you know, when you're ready to come back, your internship will be here. You know, that's more about you getting your college credit than, you know, uh, so. But he wanted to be back, and we're very happy to have him, and he's doing great. So we appreciate all the prayers, and we put it out on Facebook and Twitter. And, you know, we had people from all over the country uh, that, that know us uh, that were, were commenting and, and thinking about him and sending, his, sending prayers his way. So we really appreciate that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty impressive, Chris. I, I, pick, I pick good uh, employees, as you can see, by our, our astute producer. Is he from Central? 
Uh, he's not from Central. Oh, that's he's not. That, yeah, good, good for him. He's a, he must I be a tried, great, he must I be tried a great guy then. Fire chips, <laughs> I tried, but we sure picked a good one. Well, you know, I'm excited for uh, today's episode. We have Kyle Kaminsky on today to talk, to talk about the budget. So let's just go right to him right now. Well, Chris, I'm excited to have friend of the pod Kyle Kaminsky on again today. Uh, he was on previously to talk about some bills that were going through the legislature, and he's going to be on today to talk about the budget. The governor just uh, proposed his budget, and uh, we want to get some info on that and how it affects us. So, Kyle, I know, you know, Chris has talked about previously that he's a political junkie. He used to work over there for Gongware and a bunch of media outlets. I know you're a huge political junkie. So I'm going to take a step back here and let you two just go at it, because uh, I'm sure you guys can do this all day long. But before I do that, can you talk about the process of the budget, Kyle, so people out there understand kind of from proposal to when it gets enacted? Sure, I'd be happy to. So it's a roughly a five-month process under the current administration. Uh, it starts in February every year where the governor releases what's called the executive recommendation. Um, that essentially represents the department's ask in terms of the budget. So we work with the governor's office in the lead-up to February of each year, putting together what we think is a responsible budget for the Department of Corrections for the upcoming fiscal year that will start October 1st of that year. Uh, the governor has now presented his uh, executive recommendation for all the state budgets that happened last week, and so that kind of kicks off the budget process. The next stage will be many hearings uh, that will start with the director going in and talking to our House subcommittee and then our Senate subcommittee, giving them an update on the department's operations, talking to them a little bit about uh, the budget that we're seeking for the next year. Uh, we'll then have usually a series of hearings after that where um, the legislature will ask us about specific issues within the department. We'll come in and talk to them about that um, and go through that process. As we approach roughly Easter, which is spring break for the legislature, the two subcommittees will put out their own recommendations for the budget. Uh, they will look very different than the executive recommendations. So essentially at that point, there'll be three versions of the budget. Um, and that will be the kickoff to real negotiations, um, generally sometime in April. We'll see the bills actually move through the technical side of the process, which isn't going to be all that interesting to the folks listening to the podcast. But where we end up is late in May. Uh, we sit around waiting for something called targets. And what targets are is the final agreement on the dollar signs, the big dollar signs, for each of the budgets that comes from the governor's office, House leadership, and Senate leadership. Uh, and then once those targets are established, then it goes back to the subcommittee chairs in the department to decide how to reach them so either adding money to certain programs, taking money away from certain programs, balancing out the legislature's priorities with the department's priorities, with the goal being that roughly June 1st, uh, an agreement's in place, and then the legislature will vote on that, and then following October 1st, that will be our budget. Well, thanks, Kyle, and uh, and thanks, Greg. Yeah, you're right. I am a nerd, and, and like uh, Kyle said, Target Day is a big day. As a reporter, um, it was our job to stake out in the Capitol outside the governor's office and to watch for any of the, the big folks in the leadership coming out of that room to find out what the targets were. So uh, for us nerds and for everybody else, that, that is a big day. So, um, But, Kyle, why don't we start looking at uh, – we've looked through the budget. You know, the governor unveiled it. Uh, we've had a good chance to, to go through it, but – for our listeners, especially for our employees, the one thing that's not um, listed anywhere in the budget is any talk of closure uh, of a facility. And could you give us an update or talk to us about that and where the department is thinking on those terms? Absolutely. So the prisoner population obviously went down significantly uh, last year in 2016. That did allow us to close one facility 
uh, the Pugsley Correctional Facility. That was something that the legislature really wanted us to pursue, and it's something that we're able to do. Um, but as we approach this next year budget, we are watching the population on not just a weekly basis, essentially a daily basis to figure out where we're at. And while the trend overall is good, the population continues to go down, the department it feels it's very important not to remove capacity until it's safe to do so. And so as part of the executive recommendation that the governor shared and as part of the comments that various people from the department will be sharing with the subcommittees as we go through this process, the department at this point is not supporting the closure of any additional MDOC facilities. Um, as population declines, we will probably look to close housing units um, and do some other things to, to make sure that we're trying to be as uh, prudent with the taxpayers' money as possible. Uh, but just as we look at where our numbers are today, uh, the responsible thing to do is to continue to operate the facilities that we have. That being said, there will be folks in the legislature who will want to push us uh, and, and push for uh, further closures and further savings. Uh, so we will continue to have that conversation over the next five months. Uh, but the department's position on this at this point is very clear. We're not looking at additional closures. Great. Thanks. I think that's a real help for people to hear uh, that, especially with such clarity, uh, too. I think that's going to be uh, good for people, to, for our employees to, to hear. Um, another thing that, that is in the budget that is probably going to get some attention, and I'm glad we're this is why we want to have you on so that you can explain some of these things. But it, it appears as though there's additional money on two of our biggest contracts, which are food service and health care. And can you kind of talk about both of those and, and what, that, uh, what that represents? Sure. So these are what we consider to be baseline increases. So as we go year to year, our budget essentially starts with the same level of funding as the previous year uh, for, for each of our lines. That happens both for our contracted lines and our own internal lines. But then those lines need to be adjusted every year. So when it's a line that impacts our employees, we call it economics. So you'll see an economics increase in the budget every year, and that covers things like um, the pay raises that people get in October. Uh, it covers changes to state health insurance and other costs like that. When it comes to these large lines that support contracts, they're subject to economics as well. Um, most of these contracts will have some inflationary triggers in them. Uh, there will be other things like just the amount of usage. So if we see uh, more meals being eaten or more health care being provided, the department has to pay for that and is obligated to adjust our lines to do so. Uh, so this year we do see some baseline adjustments to the food service line as well as to the health care lines. Uh, and again, that it largely reflects essentially economics tied to those programs. Um, everything gets slightly more expensive over time, uh, and it's the department's obligation to be responsible and make sure we have enough money to pay those bills uh, to make sure those services can be provided. Well, another thing that's in in the budget um, is is staffing, and, and as we know, I think we're we're still uh, losing officers to retirement and, and other means. About fifty a month, I think, is is the number that that we're still seeing. And so, in this budget, like we've had in previous years, there's some additional. I think it's one-time funding uh, for some new officers, uh, as well as what we traditionally get. Can you talk about kind of where we're at uh, staffing-wise and what this budget will do to uh, sort of replenish the ranks? So. As you mentioned, there, there's really two pots of money that are going to go toward uh, staffing specifically for corrections officers. One is that one-time funding. Um, the goal of that is to supplement our baseline for training because we recognize 
um, that the baseline is not going to be enough for this year, considering our current retirement rates. So we're going to ask for about $4.4 in one-time funding for corrections officers, academies, and these will be state-run academies, um, similar to what we've seen the last year or so um, since returning from the, the corrections uh, community college-based approach. These are the state-run academies. And then we have uh, about $8.5 million in ongoing funding um, for those same academies that, that exist in our budget every year. The, the end result is going to be that we should be able to put about 550 individuals through our Corrections Officers Academies in the next fiscal year. Um, that lines up very well with what we expect our attrition rate to be in terms of people retiring, people promoting. Um, so the goal here is that we hope to end the next fiscal year with the same, roughly the same count of Corrections Officers as we start. Um, so we want to make sure that we're not in a position where we see uh, any significant increase in our vacancies. I'm sure that that's a, a welcome uh, uh, to hear from from a lot of our wardens, and, and so I think that'll be they'll be very happy to uh, to hear that. Uh, another thing that is new in the budget, uh, at least in the last couple of years, is the idea of um, funding for hepatitis C uh, treatments. And uh, where is that at this year, and what does that look like? So hepatitis C is one of our more complex issues that we're dealing with. Uh, we received a significant amount of funding last year in our budget to make sure that we could treat prisoners who are in the F3 or F4 stage uh, of having that condition during the current fiscal year. So keep in mind when we're talking about this budget, this is the budget that will start October 1st of this year and go into next year. But during the current fiscal year, the one that we're operating under, we are still seeking some additional funding because Medicaid um, has decided that F2 level individuals should be covered in the community, which means we have an obligation to cover them in the prison system as well. So we're seeking about $14 million to start that process of treating that expanded population. Uh, if we receive that money in the current fiscal year, well, we'll still need to receive and spend a significant amount of money next year on hepatitis C. It'll actually be less than we're currently spending. So um, the hope is that if we can obtain that funding during the current year, we'll start to sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and can start to taper off our treatment because we, we simply won't have that many qualified patients left to treat. Um, and so that hopefully by maybe the year after next, we can move toward more of a maintenance approach where while we'll still be treating hepatitis C, it'll essentially be people who are either newly diagnosed or new to the system. Uh, we won't have any kind of significant uh, list of prisoners waiting to be treated. Well, one question that I usually get from reporters, um, so maybe you can answer this and they'll listen to this and they won't bother me uh, asking this question. It'll save me some time. Uh, but it's good, I think, just for people to hear, is that our budget again this year is right at $2 billion and the $2 billion mark, and we always cover right right in that general area. And, you know, we, we, we have a lot of cost-saving measures that we've talked about in the past. We've closed a prison uh, last year. Um, our population is declining, but our budget stays pretty constant. I was wondering if you could explain to people why, why that is uh, each year, you typically. So this year's budget is another example of the Department of Corrections being one of the most fiscally responsible departments in all of state government. Um, we do get that question about $2 billion, but I think what is lacking is a lot of the context that goes with that. Um, I think if the listeners will, will go back a few years, they'll likely remember when the legislature and the governor made pretty significant changes to state employee retirement, um, specifically in, in relation to health care and some other things. And the reality is up until that point, the state had not been fully funding or adequately funding some of those systems. 
uh, and the current administration made the determination that that needed to happen. But the reality is, while that's a good thing for all of us state employees because there's going to be money in the fund when we reach retirement age, the, the departments are now obligated to pay much higher what we call OPEB or other post-employment benefit costs for employees. Um, and so those have, you know, gone up in total essentially hundreds of millions of dollars. So while we've done a lot of cost containment, we've also had to acknowledge that we've got some costs that in the past we had uh, not been handling adequately. This is another year, though, where... Um, you know, when we look at fiscal year 18, which is what this budget is, state employees are in most, or if not all, classifications are going to see a 3% raise at the start of this fiscal year that we have to account for, um, some other changes, and yet we're essentially holding things steady. Um, we have been at $2 billion now for a number of years, and that's even as prisoner health care costs have increased significantly, and, you know, our own employee costs have gone up. Um, it's a sign of a department that's really taken it seriously in terms of trying to find savings where we can, but at the same time we have to acknowledge that things do become more costly over time, and so just maintaining at this level is actually a huge accomplishment on the part of the department. Well, Chris, i got to step in here because uh, man, you guys are total political junkies, and I'm sure this could go on all day long, but um, I'll get you aside, though, Kyle. I mean, that's good information because, you know, I routinely, and I, I would guess that many people wonder that same question. We have a $2 billion budget, but we close prisons. We've done this. We've done that. And it remains at $2 billion. So uh, that's that's good, and I appreciate you kind of breaking that down for everybody out there. But I do have a question because we've got pretty specific to a lot of CFA stuff. What about FOA? Let's talk about FOA, Kyle, real quick. Last year, the budget had some money in it for VEST for everybody. We're working through that right now, giving every agent um, a VEST. So what's in it new for FOA this year? So FOA uh, actually gets one of only two kind of hallmark spending requests on our part. So the one is the new officer training supplemental, the one-time funding. So that's on the CFA side. The thing for FOA is we are going to uh, try to obtain funding, $1.5 million, to support a west side alternative to prison program similar to RAP that's running down at DRC. So this is a program that would target high-risk probationers who appear to be prison-bound based on their uh, behavior and place them in a secure setting uh, where they will uh, be held four to six months. And within that secure setting and during that time, they'll complete some cognitive programming. They'll also complete some vocational programming. And the goal here is to really give another tool, not just to the judges, but also to FOA, to have a effective diversion here. Because one of the things that we've heard a lot of is with the probation population, they're being given opportunities. They're being put in programs in the community, but they're walking away, they're not completing, and the judges reach a point where they feel like they don't have any option but to send them to prison. And so what we want to do is offer them an option that's kind of in between that. So they get the custody side of this because they cannot leave one of these uh, alternative programs like RAP. Um, so they're going to be off the street, they're going to get a taste for what it's like to be under custody, and at the same time, rather than having them come in for a two or three year minimum sentence to complete this programming, we're going to turn them around and have them do that same programming in roughly six months at the most. Um, we've seen it down in Wayne County where the original RAP pilot's running with the DRC. I think we've had about 100 individuals in the program so far, about 88 have completed it. Um, too soon to see what they're, you know, long-term outcome is in terms of do they re-offend, um, 
but at least initially it appears that we are successfully diverting people from prison, but not just looking the other way. I mean, we're diverting them into a program that's an evidence-based approach to um, addressing th their behavior. And so we want to try to open this up to the west side of the state. Uh, we're in the process of looking at some options on that side of the state. Um, but again, this will be one of the things that we probably talk about most during the budget process. Man, Chris, I, you couldn't have put that, set that on a T any better for us because I know in the, in the upcoming weeks you're going to go down to DRC and actually do a podcast, an episode on the RAP program. So thanks, Scott. I'm not sure you knew that, but thanks for putting that on a T and setting that up for us. Uh, much appreciated. And yes, the RAP program down at DRC is, um, you know, it, it, it's a great program. Again, like you said, it's a little too early to see the results of that uh, just started. And, you know, it's good. Now, now we can get the same thing on the west side of the state because this is what the director wanted to do when she came in, was focus on the front end, focus on probation, and give judges more options um, than prison. You know, that's, that's one of the things that, that we hear is, if I had this program, maybe I'd win some to prison. So it's, it's good. This is exactly what she said she was going to do, and it's rolling out now on the west side of the state. So thanks for explaining that, Kyle, and thanks for explaining everything that you did today on the budget, the process, what's in it for us, and we look forward to seeing how this all plays out for October 1st. Thanks, Kyle. You're very welcome. And if I could say just one last thing to everybody listening to this, be patient. It's a process, and there's going to be news that will come out over the next five months that um, MDOC employees might not like. Um, the reality is the legislature has the ability. They control our budget, and it's a, it's a negotiation and a process, so Remain patient and know that the MDOC each and every day during this process is working uh, to defend not only the department's interests but also our employees' interests. Well, again, thanks to Kyle for, for coming on and explaining the budget. We really appreciate uh, that, that, that rundown uh, through, through our budget. And as you heard Kyle, uh, as well as Greg say, um, part of the, the budget I is this West Side Wrap, and so we do have the Wrap program going on currently, and so that's at the DRC. And so we're going to have a familiar voice is going to return to the podcast, the deputy warden at DRC, who is also the co-founder of this esteemed podcast. So Noah Nagy will be returning, a very familiar and favorite friend of the pod. will be coming back to the podcast all the Nagy next fans week. All the Nagy fans, mark, mark the calendar, mark all the calendar. All those folks in Grand Valley and uh, at oh Western, oh and I mean the, the, the fan base. I expect the numbers for this episode to just go through the roof. Might even rival the director's. Yeah, it's uh, a national audience. audience. It's not just a state it's of Michigan audience. International. He's yeah. he's he's worldwide. So good, good luck with that, Chris. I, I hope I hope you enjoy, Mr. Nagy. And uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to having to taking a break for a couple episodes and and getting Noah back in the game here. So it'll be fun. It, it will be fun, and we can't wait to uh, bring that to you guys next week. We'll see you then. All right. As always, thank you for listening. We'd love it if you would help us spread the word about the podcast. You can do that by subscribing to the show on iTunes and leave us a review. You can always follow the department on Facebook at MI Corrections and on Twitter at Michigan DOC, as well as the FOA account at MDOC FOA and the CFA account at MDOC CFA. And you can send any questions you have to the show using the hashtag AskFieldDays. Until next time, Thanks for tuning in to Field Day's podcast.